1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Tonight I have the blessing of kicking off a new Sunday evening sermon series. It's a series that Billy and I will be doing jointly together. It's a series that looks at issues facing the church today. And we're going to ask the question, what does the Bible say about that issue? For example, Billy would be looking at the issue of uh, alternate lifestyles and how the world has accepted that and the world is pressuring the church to accept it. But we're going to look at the question and say, what does the Bible say about that? Next week, I'll be looking at the issue of instrumental music and what does the Bible say about instrumental music in the worship service. But tonight, tonight is a big one for me because the, the issue tonight is the issue of the role of women in the worship service. What does the Bible say about the role of women in the service today. That's a very hot topic. Because we can look across our brotherhood and we can see uh, congregations that now have women serving in the pulpit as preachers. We can see congregations, uh, sister congregations, that are now introducing women uh, teaching uh, mixed classes. And we even have some congregations that are considering appointing women as elders in the church. Let me make it very clear. We should follow God's law and not fulfill our own emotional needs or the quest to be like our culture. Now, we're going to come back to that later in this lesson because that's going to be a very important point. But we must not fall victim to just following our emotional needs. And we must not fall victim to trying to be like culture. We've got to follow God's law. Before we get into the heart of this lesson, let me make two important points. Women should never feel like second-class citizens in the family or in the church. God loves His female children just as much as His male children. You're not a second-class citizen. You're not uh, something to be discarded. You are important in God's sight. The prayer of the Pharisees is wrong. What do the Pharisees often pray for? They would say, Heavenly Father... I'm so thankful to you that you did not make me a woman or a Samaritan. You talk about a put-down for women, that's a put-down. But the prayer of the Pharisees is wrong. Personally speaking, uh, women have, uh, have played a very vital part in, in my lifetime. I had a mom that I thought the world of. And you do too. I had a mother-in-law who I believe was tops. I have only great memories of her. I have a wife who I love more than 
life itself. I believe she is a wonderful preacher's wife. I have a daughter. I have three granddaughters, one of them with me tonight. Uh, I have many friends who are female by gender. I want the members of my family and friends who are female in gender to achieve, to be all they dream to be, to reach whatever goals they may have for their lives. But when it comes to the church, I've got to teach what God's Word teaches about the role of women in the worship service. The second point I want to make before we get into the heart of the lesson is this. I want to point out that true, women have served an important function in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament. For example... In the Old Testament, we had women who served as prophets. They were called prophets. Uh, An example of that would be Moses' sister, Miriam. We have women who served as a judge. I'm talking about Deborah. We have women in the Old Testament who served in advisory positions behind the throne. Sometimes good advice and, and sometimes bad advice. In the New Testament... It was the financial support of women who provided for the ministry of Jesus and his apostles. And in the New Testament, we have the four daughters of Philip the Evangelist, who were prophets. They prophesied. But in God's plan, in God's plan, men and women served different purposes. To complete the team. God has created a team both for the family and in the church. Men, men serve as leaders in the family and in the church. Now, I said leaders. I, I didn't say a boss. I, I didn't say a tyrant. I didn't say a, a dictator. But we are to be shepherd type leaders. Leaders that are willing to sacrifice for the the good of our family and certainly for the good of the church. As men serve as leaders in the family and in the church, women women serve as what I would describe as the the spark plug, the facilitator, the point guard that makes everything better. They're back there serving, making sure that everything clicks. Just like a, a good point guard on a, on a basketball team will do the same thing. Women are serving a valuable function, making the family stronger and making the church stronger. Now, let's get into our lesson. We live under the New Testament. So let's look at what the New Testament says about the role of women. Let's begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Verse 33, Paul writing here, he says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there, is anything that desire, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. 
Now turn over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, the verse that Billy already shared with you. Verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Let's look at another one. Titus. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Verses 3 and 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Those are three passages dealing with the role of women in the church today. So the question has to be asked, why do we have sister congregations bringing in women as preachers and teaching mixed classes and even considering women for Positions of eldership. Well, in preparation for this part of the lesson, I went to the internet and I I wanted to look at those congregations that have done this because several of those congregations have have issued statements that they have made available on the internet. Uh, Some of those statements were very brief. Some of them were extremely long. As I read over those statements... There were three verses that kept on popping up virtually on every one of those uh, websites. And there was a principle that they kept on mentioning that kept on popping up. Let's look at those three key verses. Why do we have sister congregations doing this? I think it's first off, it's a misapplication of Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. Let's look at that passage. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, they look at that passage... And they say, well, that's as clear as a nose on your face. They say right there, Paul is saying that there's not male and female. We're all one, so we all have an opportunity to serve. We all have an opportunity to, uh, to be whatever we want to be in the church. That's a misapplication of what Paul is doing there, what Paul is saying there. The book of Galatians was one of the first books of the 27 books of the New Testament. The book of Galatians is probably one of the first books written. And Paul in the book of Galatians is writing a book directed to the churches in the Galatia area and he's primarily writing a book to confront a problem. The problem is we have Jewish Christians who would come in And they were teaching that, well, yeah, it's great to be a Christian, but did you know that you need to also be a Jew too? 
Did you also know that you need to, uh, to adopt the, uh, the Jewish law along with the Christian law? And, and certainly, you need to practice the rite of circumcision. So Paul writes this book to handle that problem. In chapter 1, he even talks about the, the problem of even having to face down Peter. When Peter came, and, and then when the Jewish uh, Christians came in to uh, see Peter, you know, he separated himself from the Gentiles, making it look like uh, there was a, a separation between Jewish Christians and, and Gentile Christians. He calls the Old Testament a, a schoolmaster to help us to learn about God and help us to bring about God. But he makes it very clear that the Old Testament is no longer in effect. And here in verse 28 of chapter 3, that's his point. We don't have that separation anymore. There's no more Jew and, and Gentile, Jew or Greek. That's all been done away with. In fact, let's back up. Let's back up just a little bit here in chapter 3. Let's back up to the beginning of that paragraph. Verse number 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned unto the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. The Old Testament law was our guardian until Christ came or that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. No, no longer under the Old Testament. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Then he says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Neither slave nor free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So you can't use Galatians 3.28 to justify women as preachers, teaching mixed classes, or even elders in the church today. Let's look at the second verse that kept on popping up on, on those websites. They kept on talking about Romans 16, verse 1. Romans 16, verse 1. Let's look at that passage. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant. You may have a footnote on that word servant. Go down and read what the footnote says a servant of the church. They'll say, look at that. Paul called Phoebe a deacon. Did he? Really? Let's take a little closer look at this. We have the Greek word diakonos. The Greek word diakonos. The Greek word diakonos and its various forms appear in these passages in the New Testament. The most common translation of the Greek word diakonos is the word servant, or a word meaning servant. Now, when we talk about a translation, what are we talking about? 
we're talking about taking a language and telling what the word would be in another language. For example, the word yes. The English word yes. If I was speaking to a Spanish group, I wouldn't say yes. I would say what? See, si. see. Si. That's the word yes in Spanish. If I was speaking to a, to a French congregation and I said the word yes, I would not say the word yes. I would say the word we. Oui. That's the French word for yes. When we take the Greek word diakonos and we translate it properly, it comes up as servant. So what's the problem? Notice the three passages in white. About 400 years ago, when we first had the first English translations, just a little bit over 400 years ago, those English translations, they looked at this word diakonos and these three different passages, and they did not translate it. They transliterated it. Now what is transliteration? Transliteration is taking a word and creating a new word in your language that sounds like the original word. Okay? So diakonos, they transliterated it into deacon in those three places. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, 1 Timothy 3.8, and 1 Timothy 3.12. Now, let me illustrate the process of transliteration. The best way to illustrate that is one I've used before, my name in Romanian. Because Lisa and I did 11 mission trips to Romania, over in Romania, my name is Miha. Okay, you don't call me Michael, you call me Miha. That's Romanian for Michael. Okay? One of their heroes, one of their local heroes is uh, Mihai Bravu, meaning Michael the Brave. Now, my last name does not translate into Romanian. There are no Cox families living in Romania, okay? That is not a... <laughs> a Romanian family name. So what they would do is they would introduce me as Mihai Cox because they would take my name Cox and give it a Romanian sound, Cox. That's what they did with Diakonos. They gave it an English sound and they created the word deacon. Actually, Philippians 1, 1, 1 Timothy 3, 8 and 12, the proper translation would be servant. So you can't call Phoebe in Romans 16 a deacon, but you can call her a servant because that's exactly what she was to the church. Now, why did the English translators 400, over 400 years ago, why did they do what they did? They wanted to preserve a laity that was already in existence, a religious jargon that had already been in existence for some time. They wanted to preserve this uh, organizational scheme they had in the 
Christian world. In fact, uh, I ran across a comment from Alexander Campbell. In regards to 1 Timothy chapter 3, he said this, High churchmanship caused the early English translators to fail to properly translate the Greek word diakonos in 1 Timothy. What does he mean by high churchmanship? He's talking about church organization. The laity that the Christian world, not the church, but the Christian world had adopted, separating the common Christian from the upper crust of the church. Another example of a transliterated word would be the Greek word baptizo. If they had 400-something years ago properly translated that word, we wouldn't have the confusion we have here today. We have the confusion because they transliterated baptizo into the English word baptize. And that creates confusion. Because if they had properly translated baptizo, the proper translation would be to immerse, to plunge, to bury. There would be no question that infant baptism is wrong. There'd be no question that sprinkling, that pouring is wrong. But because it was transliterated and not translated, we have confusion. What's the third misapplication? People who advocate that women can serve as leaders in the church, they have misapplied 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11. Their wives, we're talking about this office that we have ended up calling deacons, back up in verse 8, also in verse 12. Paul is talking about those men... Then it says in verse 11, Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Have you ever wondered why? Why do we have qualifications for the deacon's wives and not the elder's wives? Have you ever thought about that? Why would there be qualifications for the deacon's wives and not the elder's wives? Here's why. The word wives is not there. The words wives is not there. The word is women. Women. Paul is talking about men serving as special servants that office that we call deacon. He's talking about men serving as deacons. He pauses for a moment and talks about women servants, because every church has women servants. We have women servants here that are doing things that women are supposed to be doing. Then he resumes talking about men in verse 12. Now, the people who advocate who advocate women to serve in leadership roles, they would say, well, look there. He talks about women, so women can be deacons. Women can be 
and leadership. Once again, they're wrong. Why? Because, look at verse 12. Let deacons, as I said already, that word should be servants, these special servants. Let deacons be the husband of one wife. How can a woman be the husband scripturally? I guess in the day's world they could be. You can have a woman marrying a woman. But how can a woman scripturally be married to another woman? Scripturally, she can't. So this passage right here is not talking about women deacons. It's just talking for one verse about those women who serve in the church. So what is the proper role for women in the church? The proper role, as we've already read, is teaching the younger women. The proper role is teaching the children. The proper role is shaping our children to be the church of tomorrow, which I believe is key for the future of the Lord's church. Because if we're not shaping the future of the church through our children, the church will falter and fail. So what does the Bible say? The people who advocate, the people who advocate women to serve as leaders in the church, they will most often mention those three verses that we've already looked at. And then they'll talk about one principle in their minds. And that is the principle of cultural significance. They will look at the passages that I read to you, that Billy read and I read, and they'll say, well, that was just their culture. Women back then were to be silent because that was their culture. And, and true, it, it is, there are things that we do that are affected by cultural significance. When you came into the building today, when you came in the building this evening, how many of you were greeted with a holy kiss? No. None of you were, right? But how many of you were greeted with a handshake or a hug? We understand that for them, back in the first century, a holy kiss was a way of greeting. But for us in our culture, a way of greeting is a handshake. It's a hug. By the way, if you go to the Middle East, they will probably give you a kiss on the cheek if you attend one of our sister congregations over there because that still is what they do over there in their culture. So yes, there are things that we have that are culturally significant. And it's affected by our culture. But these verses that I shared with you are not those things. How do I know that? Go back to 1 Timothy, the passage that Billy read. Look at verse 13 now. Paul says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. What is Paul doing there? Paul says this principle of male leadership 
goes all the way back to Adam. Goes all the way back to the garden. And that's what God intended. It's not just our culture and we can change because that's not our culture. This is something that's been a part of God's law from the very beginning of time for mankind. So that's what the Bible says about the role of women. Are women second-class citizens? No. God loves his female children just as much as his male children. But there is a certain role for men in the church as leaders, and there's a certain role that we've already talked about for women in the church. Tonight, before we leave, let's remind ourselves the steps of becoming a Christian. Those simple steps that is required for us to put on our Lord in baptism. Do you have a need to respond tonight? Or maybe as a Christian, you need to seek His forgiveness. We stand ready to help you. We want to help you. We want to pray with you. We please come when we stand and sing for your encouragement.